It is 5 o'clock somewhere, and you've tuned in to Season 2, Episode 12 of BRC. For those of you who'd like to watch this episode, I highly recommend it. We're live and in person on the Emerald Isle. You can view Season 2 on our website, YouTube, and Spotify. I'm Carrie Moynihan, and in today's Tavern Talk, I speak with Dave Mulligan about why he opened a poutine bar in Dublin, Ireland. I will also be speaking with Rupert Egan about some family surprises when he looked up reopening his fifth great-grandfather's whiskey company. Stay with us. Hey, Dave, nice to meet you. Great to meet you. We're here at your bar, Bar 1661. It's a poutine bar. It's won a few awards. Um, tell us about the, the start of the bar. How did you come up with the idea, and what is the, the purpose of the bar, and um, what's the reason behind the name? Sure thing. So I'll do the name first, because okay. uh, that's the one that always confuses people. So we're here to celebrate Pochin. That's what we are. We're the, we're the flagship for Irish Pochin globally at this stage, I hope. Uh, 1661 is the year they banned it. So until then, whiskey and Pochin very much ran side by side. It was just that people made Pochin at, at home. And then uh, the British brought in new tax laws and licensing laws, you know, that anybody who wanted to make spirit had to declare what they made and pay the revenue since 1661, yeah. Uh, conceptually, why we're here, I guess, you know, if you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. I've been a bartender my whole life, um, always worked in hospitality, and I moved to London in 2011, and I opened a bar over there called Shabin in 2012, early, early 2012. That was where I got into Pachin, and uh, we were the first ones to kinda put a spotlight on the category, you know, and, and try to bring it into contemporary cocktail culture. But um, I brought out my own brand, the brand you can see here, Bond. Uh, I brought that out while I was in London and, you know, I was running the bar, I was doing that. I got involved with a great incubator for spirits to really get going. But I was having all these um, successes. I mean, they were small successes. Everything in Puccina is small. But uh, for me, they were major successes because I was new to having a brand. So in London, we were getting great listings, both retail, on trade, great cocktail bars using the spirit, people really embracing it. And then in Ireland, I just couldn't give it away, you know, and, and I knew a lot, a lot of bartenders in Ireland. Everybody was really slow to get behind the category. Um, I think we got unlucky that the category started gathering momentum with a few producers just as the gin bubble really kicked off, you know. So it was just this frustration that, that I was having great success internationally, but in our home country where it should sell, we couldn't give it away. So in 2017, I decided, you know what, maybe, maybe a brand is, is one part of the business, but I, I was so good at this when I had a bar that specialized in it, that maybe we should do a pop-up bar in Dublin and see what the reaction is. You know, I know the opportunity is there, but maybe the kind of medium or the, the platform to promote it was wrong. So came back and I did a six week pop-up and it was just so super, super successful. It created a, a whole load of hype around the category. And, you know, people were talking about it radio, television, we were in the broadsheets, we were all over the internet. So it, it managed to create more hype in six weeks as a bar than I kind of had in six years as a brand in Ireland, wow. you know? So yeah, it was just, look, decision made. I got, I got to come home, uh, I got to open a permanent bar. And that's where I teamed up with John Ralph, who owns Mad March Hair, you know? And we said, like John said to me, what type of bar do you want to open? I said, if I'm, if I'm moving back from London, I'm only coming back to open the best cocktail bar in Ireland. And I think Putchin needs that. You know, it, it can't be spitting sawdust, it can't be a basement, dirty basement. It's got to be classy and it's got to really change people's perceptions. I think in, yeah, what are we, three and a half years, we've, we've definitely done that, yeah. Fantastic. So which was the first award you won? Uh, we won Best Cocktail Bar in Ireland. We won a load of awards in, in one night. So we'd actually... In one night. In wow. one night, one night, one big night. It was my birthday as well. Oh, no, 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 no. First of December, I remember, yeah. It was... Um, 
it was almost like the whole thing was made for me. It was funny. But um, we took a long time to get going here, you know, it was six or eight months. First six months were, were tough, you know, there was a few new openings and it's a rough part of town and, you know, people, it was risky for people to come up here. So the night we won those awards, we won like best cocktail bar, best new bar, best bar team, best bartender, best something else, you know, we got five. So it was a real seal of approval. And while a lot of people had, had heard about the bar, the industry definitely embraced us from day one, but uh, a lot of the Dublin drinkers had heard about the bar and that was enough of a seal of approval for them to go, right, I'm gonna go up and check this place out, yeah. Cool. So tell me about your, your uh, poutine here. Can we taste a little bit of that? You can, of course. We broke out the special edition for you, Carrie. Nice. This is an old one. There's not many of these knocking around, but these were in Lefroy casks. Oh, wow. I don't think I'm supposed to say that, but uh, they were in Islay casks that begins with an L and ends with an Oig. <laughs> um, so we use, I make this up with Ecklenville Distillery. You said you're in Cologne. Mm -hmm. It's not far up the road on the, on the Ards Peninsula as the crow flies. Um, but Ecklenville are there since 2014 officially. I met them in 2013. Um, they grow and malt all their own barley. Super craft distillery, not a small place either. You know, they can do some really nice volume. But when I first met them, I was looking for a, a partner who believed what I believed. And, you know, I've no interest in just doing a generic spirit or a generic bar. Everything I do, I want it to be to the best of our abilities. And these guys share that same ethos. So we use malted barley grown and malted on site we use a little bit of potato and in this one we even use beet molasses like sugar beet oh, wow. molasses yeah and then 10 week rest which is the max you're allowed to do in putching in smoky lefroy I, I don't really smell the smoke on here subtle i'm sure I'll you'll feel it. it you'll feel it yeah oh wow i it's like a it's like a roasted potato there you go yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Really, really, really tasty, yes. really creamy, really earthy, like a big buttery potato, yeah. And then that subtle smoke, you definitely get I the eye on it. I want to go to a potato bar. Ah, <laughs> you're in one, welcome. Mm. <laughs> There's not a lot of people use potato, you know, people, uh, even in America, people when they hear pochine, like the Irish are the worst offenders. People say, oh, it's potato, potato spirit, you know. It really, really wasn't like that. We were making spirit in Ireland for at least 400 years some people say a thousand years before the potato even rocked up from from south america you know right. so we were a barley grown nation it was always grain and then potato through that illegality it was illegal for 336 years so people had to get smart and they had to take some risks and they used had to use what was available and then you also had distillers who were just trying to be creative you know there's a great brand there mickle and um, you know mickle uses the bog bean in in his spirit that was his great great you know, six times removed, uh, six generation grandfather put this bog bean in it, but they would have done that back in the day as people wouldn't have been able to catch the flavor. And, and what is that? What's he what, done? To what this? is a bog bean? Bog bean is, I mean, poor can tell you better. It's a wee reed that grows in a bog okay. under the water. You pop it open. There's a couple of beans in, in the top of it, you know, but um, that flavor, remember all the, all the bottles would have been blank. There was no branding on anything, you know? So to, to know it was Mickel's Putching, it would have had that familiar flavor and it meant nobody else could try to recreate it and mirror your successes. So what's the original recipe for original Putching? Uh, I mean... Or does anyone know? Nobody knows, no. Like, like, like most of the bad stuff in life, nobody ever wrote it down. Uh, <laughs> we'd have a very different history if they wrote down the bad as well as the good. But um, yeah, look, it, it was definitely barley. It was definitely malted. It, mo it, mo it most likely would have been peated. Um, a lot of smoke going around. Obviously, Irish whiskey took that out, and and Pochin followed suit. But um, the oldest one I have, when's that from? Eighteen forties. There was some bottles wow. pulled out of a house in in County Antrim. 
Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, stunning story. Fun on O'Connor will know more about that than me, but somebody gave me one of those, you know, those, oh, they only exist in the spirits industry, like those little 1CL bottles. Why is there a 10 mil glass bottle? It's because the liquid is that precious, you're only getting 10 mil. Exactly. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was pulled out of a wall of an old house. It was super, super heavily peated and was way more similar to something coming out of Islay than I'd ever seen in illegal putching in Ireland. But what what an amazing view into the past that, that those bottles even showed up, you know. Were they um, clear or were they... Or were they uh, there was a little golden hue to it like that. It definitely wasn't whiskey color, but it had that subtle straw, wow. straw color, yeah. And it was in the wall? It was in the wall. It was in the how, wall. How many yeah. bottles were there? I, I think there was a dozen bottles or so and they wow. really got split around and Rowan Co had some. Uh, it was Rowan Co gave to me, yeah. It's a stunning thing to have because they did a lot of analysis on it to, to really try to find out what, was what, it? What, what it was made from, you wow. know, and what that match bill would have been, yeah. And did it have a label on it or was it just... No, 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 no. Nothing There's like nothing that. on it. Nothing just, on it, no. Were they renovating the house and they just found it? I or think so. I, I, you know, it's a long time since I've even heard the story, but I think it was that. Somebody knocked down a drywall. People would have stashed putch in all the time. You weren't keeping it out in the open air and if you had 12 bottles you were probably selling it you know yeah you weren't buying 12 for yourself maybe you were <laughs> <laughs> i've done it many times so maybe you was <laughs> that's funny so tell me how you and john ralph got uh put together in this project uh you know we're really really lucky with put in in that um i gotta take some credit because i pushed it but all the producers know each other i'd have all their numbers on my phone i'd call them all fairly regular you know i'd call a lot of them friends uh, and just because the category is so small and there's zero government support, there's zero big major companies involved. So we're all very small craft independent, Right. you know, the, I, I think we're the next gen, you know, and doesn't have the huge barriers to entry that whiskey does. So for me, it's a bit more of an exciting crew are involved. And a lot of people, you can see that they're not doing it for financial reasons. They're doing it because they really see the opportunity of our national spirit and try push it out. Like if, if I was a money guy, I would have sold gin back in the day. I would have sold Irish whiskey. I've stuck with put gin because I, I want to see this through. Most of the producers are like that, you know? So me and John, uh, he reached out to me after the success of the pop-up. And I remember I, I'd gone traveling just after we closed it, caught up with him in London, maybe six or eight weeks after and put our heads together. and. You know, he wanted to see what the plan was with, with this great platform that had been created. And uh, I said, yeah, a permanent bar, but I'm still in London. So maybe we'll do another pop-up, another pop-up. And then we said, you know what, let's just do it, you know. So he's he's a major investor then in this? Yeah, yeah, he was he was the first. And like he's, he's he, him and Shane Long of another business partner who's, who's an ex-craft brewer. Well, he's still a craft brewer, actually. He just has a new one. But he started Franciscan Well down in Cork. Okay. Us three would be the, the most active. You know, I, I run the day-to-day, -day but they're behind the scenes with me. Yeah. Very cool. And then did he did John already have Mad March Hair out when, when you guys started this? Uh, John had Man March Hair out. He did indeed. He had, uh, yeah, he had that. He had a few other brands as well, you know. But John, like me, he just really believes that Putchin has its day, you know. It, it really, really has a shot. Uh, so, yeah, John had Man March Hair. He had a number of other brands as well, you know. But I think he just really believes what I believe in that Putchin's, it's due its day in the sun, you know. It's such a tough nut to crack. But we know there's a lot, a lot of pieces have to be put together to create one big pie. So if you think I have Bon and he has Mamar Chair, that's cool. We're, you know, craft spirits and we're in niche retailers and we're in niche bars appealing to 5% of drinkers. You know, this bar was definitely like, I don't think anything has done what this bar has done for Puccin. You know, winning the awards we won, winning Ireland's best bar, which we won this year. Nobody could ever um, 
argue with it again that, that Puchin has a shot, you know? So yeah, I think um, if you look at, uh, you know, we've got to solve this giant puzzle for Puchin and not every brand or medium we have appeals to everybody. So we did the two brands, which are, you know, Mamartere and Bond, they're, they're separate companies, but uh, they appeal to a niche clientele. You're talking 5% of drinkers, craft liquor stores, craft bars, people who are, who are into booze, you know? Um, this bar, like it re this was probably the most successful thing that happened to Pachi in our house drink here, the Belfast Coffee. It just took off when we opened. I've heard about the Belfast we'll Coffee. We'll have to make you a Belfast yes. Coffee. But that is now being replicated all over Ireland. It's in the UK, we've seen it in France, I saw it in the Czech Republic. It's popped up in America in multiple cities. And we really see that as, as um, Pachi's margarita moment. You know, that's a signature cocktail that, like I, I've done hundreds of cocktails, but not just my own brand, all the Pachines, you know, but the ease of understanding, it's, what is it? It's an Irish coffee, but instead of whiskey, we use Pachin, instead of hot coffee, we use cold brew. It looks the same, it tastes not too dissimilar, one's hot, one's cold, you know, but- um, Why the name Belfast? Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, one is my distillery, Ectonville, oh, is just outside Belfast, you know, so I see Bonds, home city as Belfast, that's what started it. But I think really there was a few names thrown around and things like the real Irish coffee or Irish coffee number two or a Connemara coffee. And I feel like, uh, you know, when you come out of Ireland, they don't really mean a lot to to other people. Whereas a city like Belfast is, it's globally known, yep. it's a capital city. It might have some bad memories with it that it's not always known for the right reasons, but. For the, me, it the has troubles, they, they the, it. the troubles, the troubles, but we put them behind us, I hope. But uh, for me, Belfast, it has the same grit in its teeth that it, the spirit like Pachin has the same notoriety. You know, it's a little bit rock and roll. It's a little bit edgy. So when doing the, the, the Pachin drink, Belfast coffee just rolled off the tongue. And it tell me about your menu over there. That's, this, a, that's the biggest, nicest m menu I've ever seen. Is it? <laughs> Thanks very much. It's uh, staunchly Irish and fiercely independent. Yeah, like everything I do in this bar, I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak and a bit of a perfectionist. But like I said already, every, everything we try and do, we try to do it to the absolute best of our abilities, you okay? Have the, you have the island embossed in the back. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. But what we wanted to do was, um, you know, we're still trying to prove to people how amazing a spirit Puchian can be. So everything we're trying to do in this bar and how we how we present Puchian is at, at the top of its game, you know? So we spent a lot, a lot of time on this menu. It's actually based on, uh, you know, historic dates from 1661 up until now, historic dates in Irish drinks. But we didn't want to write a history book or we didn't want to write, this is the gospel of Irish booze. So we just focused on dates that relate, that, that influence the staff and that, that actually excite our staff. So obviously back in 1661, we, we start with the Belfast coffee, but there's a few lovely ones on on when pot still whiskey was invented. You know, Foynes Airport, when it yep. created the Irish coffee, the first ever cocktail bar in uh, in Dublin, which we found out, uh, amazing bit of history. You know, no one's ever talked about it, but those little dates inspire the drink. And then our usual, we work with all craft producers and Puchin is the majority of the menu, yeah. That's great. And today, what is, the, is there a legal um, recipe that you have to have or a minimum aging or processing? What is, what is the legal tender do you know, uh, for I'm normally the one to ask, but I'm so bored of that conversation <laughs> that I don't get involved. There was actually a meeting this morning that I said I'd come to, first one in maybe six I'd come to, but I didn't bother. Uh, they've been talking about this recipe for 10 years and the ones I remember is, okay, we can use grain, we can use potato, 
can use molasses, we can use whey for some reason. It's very broad and I can see why people have a problem with it but I was in the meetings 10 years ago and now there's a whole movement to get it changed and updated and for me I'm like the government is facilitating this or some government body I, I still don't know what they do they they're facilitating these meetings and I'm like 10 years into this industry I've opened two bars I've done three brands little and green I'll tell you about in a minute because I didn't get to it I did the Belfast coffee you know I, I've done so much for put in and then I have to go down to meet these failed politicians to talk about what we should do with the category I'm like but you're doing nothing and you've done nothing for 10 years and you guys can all fight about what you think it should be or we can just crack on and sell the stuff and keep a positive light on it and talk about the future right. and not the past you know so I get so frustrated with them I I mean I, I don't understand politics I don't think anybody does but I just have to step out of those things and say you know what you guys just do your thing and you know if you change a rule and it affects my day I'll just figure out a way around it I'll just break it because I'm a pachin maker not a whiskey maker so okay. it's in our blood um how about a belfast coffee i'll make you belfast coffee i've got to tell you about little and green as oh, well yes, yeah sorry because that was that puzzle we're trying to we're trying to solve you know the, the brands are one thing the bar appealing to everybody but we've just done a really cool new brand little and green which is our cross street here very american lingo okay. we don't we don't really speak like that in ireland but um america's going to be a big place so that's little britain street or sorry that's little britain street and that's green street so the cross street little and green uh it's rtds which are obviously on fire now but it's canned pot and cocktails so we're really trying to appeal to that younger demographic that wow. kind of 21 to 28 year olds this bar gets kind of 30 plus 30 to 50 is our age group so how do we normalize this spirit and how do we you know when they do reach cocktail age and they they reach an age where they want to go to bars like this um how do we stop them coming up to the bar saying so what's punching you know because again 10 years in you're like oh, all right i mean i'll tell you if i have to but yeah the thousand time um, can you just hand them the phone here's the video here's the video <laughs> watch the video listen to the podcast and come back in yeah um but yeah little green super exciting it's going stateside i think it'll make more of an impact than maybe any of the standalone brands can because it's more mass appealable but again it's like trying to solve a huge big puzzle and we've only a couple of pieces on the board like so this is a, a brand a secondary brand that you have or this is a secondary brand with john ralph okay. so me and intrepid spirits okay, intrepid partnered spirits. up with two flavors at the minute one is made with bond one is made with man march hair oh, nice super fruity super nice five percent alcohol you know they're super smashable as we say over here they'd be one for a sunny day or a festival day at the Tim and have they de debuted here at all they have debuted here okay yeah and how are the sales sales are good sales are really good yeah they've been really happy it's been really well received and the right people are drinking it so Fantastic. i don't john's company they run the day-to-day -day of the brand but i you know i finally i have a brand that i don't need to log in for the instagram account which i'm so happy <laughs> about uh, but i see it you know and, and i see people who are the exact target audience we spoke about three years ago when we right. first started, started talking about doing it they're way younger than coming to this bar and they're people i have never seen drinking put in before so it's a massive win for everybody for the whole category you know that's great mm. okay let's get drinking let's get drinking let's get drinking okay the belfast coffee the house drink at 1661 something we are definitely famous for but actually started as a bond drink i did this with a friend of mine for bond a number of years ago but it was only when we took over this bar that it really kicked off so again i said earlier that i think this can be our margarita moment for pachin i really believe that you know because you can do all the cocktails you want, but if people can't understand and relate it to something else, it's very hard to introduce a new spirit. So everybody knows an Irish coffee. Everybody's had an Irish coffee. 
This is an Irish coffee, but instead of hot coffee, we use cold brew. And instead of whiskey, we obviously use poutine. So for the sake of your listeners, I'll go in American measures. And we're gonna start with half an ounce of rich sugar syrup. So that's your Demerara. Yeah. We're gonna use two ounces of cold brew coffee, nice strong cold brew coffee. We actually use a, a really traditional coffee bean here. We do, a, we do a cold brew for our Irish coffee as well and bring it back up to temperature. But uh, that's quite an artisanal local roastery. This is a lot more classic in style, nice rich heavy cold brew. And then we're just gonna use one ounce of puchin. So half an ounce, one ounce, two ounce. Super simple recipe. Uh, we're gonna ice up our mixing glass. And we are going to give that a good stir. So you've never had one, no? Mm -mm. But you've heard of its legacy. I heard of it uh, like two days ago. It's uh, No, it, it really took off. It's become a ritual with this bar, you know, that you're almost like, when you come in, take your seats. Can we get two Belfast coffees and the menu? You know, you know what you're having the second you walk in the door. You can savour it if you want, but normally it's a two or three hitter. And you're good to go. Nice bit of dilution in there, and then just strain that out into a Irish coffee glass, leaving about a finger of room for double cream. What do you guys call double cream again? Thickened cream, rich cream? Oh, probably whipped cream. Whipped cream, okay. You want to keep it a little bit runny, and uh, just so it floats really nice, and you can drink through the cream is the is the aim, and get out that lovely coffee underneath. There we go. And then, like all good Irish coffees, a great of fresh nutmeg on top is the star of the show. And voila, the Belfast coffee. Don't touch that device. We'll be right back with Rupert Egan. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh, roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of the farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com Hi, Rupert. How are you? I'm very well, you? Good. Um, so I have uh, interviewed your cousin in the past, Jonathan mm -hmm. Egan, and um, I'm here in Ireland at Bar 1661, and I, I, I was told I must come see Rupert okay. to find out more about the um, the daily comings and goings of what goes on with the Rupert uh, with Rupert's whiskey, with Egan's <laughs> whiskey. So um, I know that your cousin is based in the States. That's right. So I feel like you're going to have more hands-on stories to tell. Well, hopefully, yeah. All yeah. right. So let's start off with what's your whiskey journey? Like what brought you to being part of this mm -hmm. whiskey company? Um, so I'm one of those slightly um, old souls who has been drinking Irish whiskey, I suspect, long before it was fashionable to do so. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the drinks that you'll see in this bar back behind you, the pastel whiskies are now enormously expensive. That wasn't always the case when they were um, the sort of drinks preferred in dusty old bars, uh, drunk by dusty old men. And um, I had always had a fascination in, in, in the drink and then subsequently the industry. And I, um, 
I was living in London and I decided in the fullness of time with a young family and my wife is also from Dublin that we wanted to come back home to Ireland and I thought well what better thing to do than to try and um, we'll try and kind of raise the Titanic that was Egan's whiskey I, my, my dad um, is from Tullamore that's where he was raised he left Tullamore which is where uh, Egan's whiskey started uh, he left there in his early 20s and um, Egan's as a, as a business went into voluntary liquidation in 1968 and it's one of those events that uh, you know my dad describes it it really looks like he's gonna cry when he talks about it his heart looks broken and I was sort of given an opportunity to to, to map out myself a, a, you know a career for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years however long um, uh, 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 I'm on this earth for so I, I thought well better thing to do than to, to, to start this process and I went about trying to um, to trademark the Egan's name but then um, unbeknownst to me uh, my, my cousin Johnny uh, had already started that process and we engaged in this sort of um, uh, this sort of you know Raoul Munson versus Captain Falcon Scott race to the South Pole uh, although I didn't know it and he didn't know it and then eventually it, it, it came to pass that um, I was in Tullamore on, on a uh, an Irish Whiskey Society outing we were visiting the new Tullamore Jew distillery and um, I called uh, uh, an IP lawyer, an intellectual property lawyer in Dublin. I said, look, I, I, I want you to do a bit of work on this for me, if you could. And he said, look, I'm going to stop you there because I'm already working for cousins. And I was like, oh. you know, and it was this sort of second event of, a, of another another Egan having his heart broken in Tullamore. And uh, my dad was just looking at me and he was kind of shaking his head. And uh, I thought, well, okay, well, what are we going to do? And he said, look, why don't you try and find out who these guys are? You never know their, their, their motives. Wait, so did you never meet him before? I have never met him before. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd never met okay, him before. Okay, now the story is getting interesting. So right. I thought, okay, well, what do we do? And Dad said, look, I'll reach out. We'll find out who this guy is. We'll, we'll make, sure, um, and make sure they're reasonable men and they can be communicated with and dealt with. So when we, when we stood that up, we, we met me and my dad and, uh, and John Egan, my third cousin, and John Ralph. Um, one of his best friends and one of the, the founders as well of Egan's Whiskey. Um, and we met and became pretty clear, Kerry, pretty early that, that they seemed like, you know, really nice men to work with and their their heart was in the right place of the brand. They wanted to do the right thing for it. Johnny um, was kind of, you know, massively enthusiastic about the, the, the history of the Egan's family. And um, I thought, okay, well, there's no point, you know, crying over spilt milk or spilt whiskey let's just see if we can work something together i had already started doing um a diploma in distilling from the institute of brewing distilling so um i met a guy called james swan i'm not sure if you ever come across oh, yeah. him yeah james so swan. so james um i was put uh, uh, i was put in contact with james swan by a guy called fiona o'connor okay and uh, fiona has written this pot still he whiskey will be here later today oh will he yeah, okay yeah so so fiona uh, is a good friend of mine and he put me in touch with with, with james with jim um uh, god god love him and he um, said, look, if you want to be serious about this industry and you want to do something in the long term, you're going to have to bring something to the table more than just kind of a, a, a story and association with, and with a, with a, with a fam familial background. You're going to have to know your product and you're going to have to own it. And if I was you, I would go and do um, a diploma in distilling and that takes place in Scotland. And if you can get on a course taught by a chap called Brian Eaton, you should definitely do that. So uh, after a certain amount of research and convincing my wife that... Um, 
my time was best served living about a third of the year in Scotland, um, uh, which was a challenge in and of itself. But when I passed that hurdle, uh, I started on the diploma and, uh, you know, three years later, um, sitting alongside a bunch of chemical engineers and process engineers from Diageo, for the most part, I received my diploma. Uh, and whilst that process was ongoing, I started working with Johnny. Uh, and um, as a bonder, you know, Egan's never had, we never had our own distillery. So we used to take the best spirit, mature it, uh, blend it and bottle it. And that was always the idea. We didn't want to pretend that we were something that we were not because that's dishonest. And um, it also isn't a particularly interesting story. What we wanted to do, we wanted to recreate in as much as possible given the modern constructs and constraints that we're under, exactly what um, Johnny's great-great-great-grandfather and uh, my great-great-great-grandfather uh, used to. So the company was formed in 1852, P&H Egan, Patrick and Henry Egan. I'm um, five generations down from Henry and uh, Johnny, who you've met, is five gener generations down from Patrick. And you guys never met before this? We never met, no, no. And now, you know, <laughs> we, we, we communicate, um, you know, a few times a week. You know, wow. it, it's, and, and, you know, men don't make friends very easily in their 40s. If, you, if I haven't known a guy for, you know, since I was like three and a half, quite right. frankly, he's unlikely to be a friend of mine. But um, that wasn't the, the, the experience that, that Johnny and I had. And, you know, I, I was telling you before um, that we, he and I are on our way out to Japan together in December to sell this really fascinating bottle of whiskey. Um, and really looking forward to spending more and more time with each other. And I'm going to go to Chicago and visit him in the new year. And So when he, when you approached him and said, hey, uh, mm. I found out you're trying to do the same thing as I am mm -hmm. and apparently we're related, like what was his reaction? Um, uh, he, he, he tried to do a good impression of, of a guy who hadn't done a little bit of digging on who I was. Oh, he uh, had done some? Yeah, okay. yeah, he had done some, yeah. So he knew uh, who I was, he knew who my dad was, and, uh, you know, his dad and my dad are cousins, and, you know, so there had was a way... they met? Oh, yeah. They, they knew each other, you know, okay. from growing up, but they okay. hadn't seen each other in, uh, I should think, 20 or 30 years. Okay. Uh, since my dad left Tullamore. Um, so no, we didn't know each other well, and now we know each other very well, and that's um, that's a nice story, you know. Because and are you an Egan also? Or I'm an Egan. So, you, yeah. so your last name is Egan. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my son has his eye on being the seventh generation nice. involved in the Egan's whiskey business, but um, knowing what I do about how um, more uh, skilled women are in tasting and blending, perhaps it'll be my daughter, but that, that remains to be seen. But for the time being, it's uh, it's six generations, uh, and uh, Johnny represents one side, and I represent the other. That's awesome. Mm. So, how many expressions do you have out right now? Um, well, we have, uh, you know, we, we have we have a, a, a different um, sort of sections of whiskey. So, you know, um, starting with them from the from the least expensive, we have a, we have a vintage grain, which is um, uh, basically an eight-year-old single grain. Uh, there's very few um, single grain categories in anything apart from Irish whiskey. We have a no age statement single malt. Then it starts to get really interesting. So we have, um, well, the first one of the centenary, which was a limited edition release put out a couple of years ago to commemorate the hundred years passing of Henry, my great, great, great grandfather. Um, and um, that is um, a 
green malt blend finished in exo cognac casks, uh, French limousine casks. It's a fantastic whiskey. It's you know you get this big bang of of, uh, uh, of, of French oak off it, and it's really well balanced. Um, and then there's a um, there's the Legacy series as well. We'll go on to that in a second. But we have a, a whiskey called Fortitude, which is yep, it's Fortitude. not yeah, it's not it's not a, it's not um, uh, experimental. But it, there are very few Irish single malts that are matured exclusively in in sherry casks. Mm-hmm. This is one of them. It tends to be something that a whiskey would live its last you know six months or, or, or twelve months in. So uh, this is you know it's it's um, it's definitely for lovers of sherry. If you don't like sherry to whiskies, you're, this is not going to be your go-to pour. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, the one that we're really happy with is Endeavour, so that's just out now, and that's um, that's four different casks: so um, uh, Virgin American Oak, um, uh, Bourbon, um, uh, what are the other two? Um, God, it escapes me right now. But that that that's. Um, that's going to be a great whiskey, and that's you know really popular. There's, there's sherry in that as well, um, and um, then we move away from those onto the more expensive ones. We have Legacy One, Two, Three, and Four, and um, there's kind of an interesting story behind those because they're, they they are older single malt whiskies, and they're very difficult to get their hands to get your hands on those. So Legacy One, which was a 2015 single malt that was just ex bourbon, that sold out you know, in kind of 20 minutes. Um, uh, the following year, we had um, Legacy Two, and that was in a Banyuls cask, which is a, a French fortified uh, uh, wine cask. Um, that cask, we um, well, there was several of those casks. We let one of them go for another few years longer, and it is now turned twenty years old. Wow! Uh, it turns twenty years old on October thirty first, so still a few days away, and. Um, uh, that will be the whiskey that we uh, bottle and bring uh, with uh, Johnny and I to Japan. So that uh, is to commemorate 170 years since uh, P&H Higgins was incorporated in 1852. 170 bottles uh, at a, a, a relatively uh, goey price of 170,000 yen a bottle. Wow. Uh, and that's all sold. You know, uh, the Japanese have, have really embraced the product. Um, are, are really attracted by the familial connection with with the story, um, and Johnny and I are on our way out to to meet uh, to meet some of our, our, our key accounts and key contacts in Tokyo and Sapporo. That's great. Yeah. So and then we have Legacy Three and Legacy Four, um, uh, and uh, yeah. So they are the, the the more expensive ends, but they you know those casks, but that we own them as of several years ago, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to afford to, to, to buy them. Right, right, right. You know, um, uh, I, I think um, uh, we, we could have been, uh, uh, we could have been, um, we could sell them at a higher price, but uh, this, you know, we're, we're happy to do the right thing. That's great. Now you have your distilling uh, mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Are, do you plan to do any of your own distilling, or are you guys just going to be bonded? bonded no, I don't. I don't think there's a plan to to, to do any of our own distilling. It's not what our company used to. You know, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time sitting down and and being very clear as to uh, as to where we want the story to go and what we want the limit to be. And we always return to the same thing, and that is that we want to do what our forefathers did. We don't want to pretend that we're doing more, and we certainly don't want to do less. We want to be right at that frontier. And uh, for, for us, that is the bonding business, bonding, blending, and bottling. And that's exactly what we do. Okay. And do you do the, the blending yourself? Yeah. 
yeah so so that's that's you know good fun i i um uh our whiskies come from great northern um uh, i should say that um a, a really uh, uh a really lovely man and a great supporter of egan's whiskey um their head distiller brian watts very tragically yeah he's passed brian was a lovely man and um really enjoyed going up there and going into his kind of um his adult equivalent of a Willy Wonka chocolate factory <laughs> and it just had this huge bench with you know 40 different whiskies on it and uh, you know Brian uh, was a great guy to spend time with and I always used to find it sort of frustrating trying to get a hold of them over email it's because I realized when you went up there they gave you so much of your time right. and they they seemed to kind of encourage that and um, he'll be sorely missed and I really enjoy the blending side of it it's um, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to have a full day of blending, I make sure that um, uh, I don't drive up, uh, <laughs> uh, that we, we think about our transport home and we just kind of embrace the day that's in it. And it, it, it feels very like, you know, it feels very like something that um, would have been done 150, 170 years ago. And there's, there's a lovely uh, historical echo that comes from that. And um, I don't want to um, confuse the story or muddy the waters with starting to distill yeah. it's a okay. it's a it's a different skill yeah. and it's one that i'm very happy um that i feel uh i would have an idea about what uh what knobs to turn if i was put in a distillery um but not something that my um uh that features in my history so right. i don't want it to feature in my future oh that's fantastic thank you so much that's my pleasure thank you Two R, from the Old Irish for family or nation, is a conical-shaped nosing and tasting glass for whiskey that functions superbly by concentrating and capturing all the aromas and flavors that make Irish whiskey unique. The generosity of Irish spirit is reflected in the enhanced chamber capacity delivering a more generous drinking experience. With the rebirth of Irish whiskey production, the development of new world-class distilleries, visitor centers, and the Irish whiskey tourism trail, it's time for a contemporary glass to become the iconic symbol unifying Irish whiskey drinkers around the world. 2R, the Irish whiskey glass. That does it for today's show. To read notes on this episode or learn more about our guests, please visit BarrelRoomChronicles.com. Want to interact with the show or have questions for our guests? Then ask them on our socials or send us an email through our website. Or better yet, leave us a voicemail on our website and your recording might be played in our new Speakeasy segment. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and you want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site at ko-fi.com slash brc or become an exclusive member of the Barrel Room Parlor where you'll get exclusive content not seen anywhere else. If you work in the whiskey or spirits industry or just have a deep passion for whiskey and want to share your spirits journey, register to be a guest through our website. Last but not least, please enjoy your spirits responsibly. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Salangeva. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Spotify for Podcasters and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Amazon, and wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts.